let me start by saying the topic is client relationships and I'm going to give you six pieces of advice that you can use in working with clients. And I think these pieces of advice apply whether you are going to become an investment banker or a lawyer or a management consultant or really almost any profession in which you're going to be servicing clients. So these this advice is not confined to working as a lawyer or at a banker or a consultant. It's really in any capacity that you might find yourself where you are responsible for advising clients. So six pieces of advice. First piece, I remember when I started off in my career a long time ago, 25 years ago, as a young investment banker, I was worried that the skills necessary to perform my job well, that is to convince clients to hire me and or convince clients to take my advice once they had hired me, were innate. The skills necessary to do that job well, I was worried were innate, meaning you either had them or you didn't. You were born with them or you weren't. There are people who are natural born salespeople or natural born client coverage people and those who weren't. And that worried me because I didn't know if I had those skills. And what I discovered over time, I believe this very, very firmly, is that the skills are not innate at all. They are learned skills. So you can become better at them by studying them, by studying the process of how people work with clients, and in particular by studying and observing people who are very good at that. You can learn to become better at it. And that should give you all comfort. It gave me comfort because I, I knew I couldn't really change my background or what, how I was born, but I did know that I could work hard. And there's really two things you need to do. You need to be willing to work hard to learn how best to relate to and work with clients. And the second thing you need to do is you need to have an open book approach. You have to really jettison all of the preconceived notions that you have about what might work or not work well with clients. Because I can tell you when I was, I don't want to say your age, but when I was sitting in your seats, I had these preconceived notions about what would make somebody good at working with clients, and I was dead wrong. Three or four years later, I turned out to be dead wrong. I remember when I was a new associate in the training program at my firm, there were you know, hundreds of us, much like a, an incoming graduate school class or college class in the program, and there were two or three, there were three people who I was, became close to, and about four months into the training program, the training program was nine months long, so about halfway through it, we wrote down on a piece of paper the people who we thought would be most successful at this job five, four, three years down the line from our training program. And so one of the guys was pretty fastidious. He collected these, and then three or four years later, he came back, got us together, and he sh showed us who we had written down. And I had written down 10 people, and they were all no longer at the firm. They had all been fired or failed. So not only did I have, I mean, my, my concept of what would make somebody good at the job was almost a contraindicator. Not only was I not right, I mean, I would have been better off just throwing a dart 
at a board than using the criteria that I was using to try and figure out whether people would be good at the job. So learn, work hard, and have an open mind, an open book approach, because the concepts that you think, the, the ideas that you probably have now about what would make somebody successful at working with clients, and making rain, and bringing in business, whatever expression you want to use, those concepts are probably wrong. So the first piece of advice I have is directly related to what I just said. This is the first of six. Is to find somebody in the organization in which you are working who's really good at it, who's really good at bringing in clients, at retaining clients, at covering clients. Find somebody who's really good and shadow, follow, watch that person as closely as you can and plagiarize what they do. <laughs> With their permission, it's not really plagiarism, I guess, but you would go to them and say, I really want to learn as much as I can from you and watch them and learn. And I, did, I was lucky enough to do that when I started off. I found somebody who was very good, very, very good at advising clients in investment banking. And he and I were not alike in any way. We weren't fr we're not friends now. We weren't friends then. We were very different. This doesn't need to be somebody like you or somebody you get along well with. This was simply, this guy was, in my opinion, the best. So I watched him and I would sit in meetings with him and I would observe what he did and I would think to myself, that can't, that's not gonna work. That's kind of crazy. What's he doing? And it would work. And so 60 to 70% of the things that I do now that I consider to be effective, I learned from him. And then 30 to 40% is my own, my own take on things, my own addition, additions and changes to his methods. So find somebody who's really good at it. Don't try and create the wheel or recreate the wheel yourself. Find somebody who's good at it and benefit from the fact that they've learned over time how to do this well and piggyback off the knowledge that they have. That's the first piece of advice I have. The second piece of advice is one that I always give as probably the most important, is try to become a holistic advisor to the client. Try to become a holistic advisor to the client. Now, what do I mean by that? Those words probably don't mean much to you right now, but hopefully they will in about three minutes. I can best illustrate this by giving you an example, and I can pick an example from any field. So I'll use management consulting. It can be law, investment banking, any field where you're interacting with clients. But let's take a management consultant who works at a, I won't name a firm, but a big firm, big management consulting firm. And let's say that he or she has been hired by the CEO of a company to perform a study on how the executive is evaluating and compensating his or her executive team. Okay, so the consultant does a ton of research on how other executives in other industries and, and in the same industry compensate and structure their executive team. He puts together a, a presentation. He works intimately with the CEO for six months on this project and at the end he presents his findings to the CEO 
and the CEO says, that's terrific. I intend to do what, you're, what you say. CEO implements the suggestions that the consultant made. Consulting firm gets paid, and then the consultant goes away. And three years later, the CEO has another problem, or two years later, or five years later, and they go to find a consultant to hire, and this person comes back in and says, hey, how about me? And they say, who? Oh, yeah, weren't you the guy who worked with me three years ago? Okay, I'm, I'll talk to you as well. I'm also gonna talk to these seven other firms and we'll figure out which one's the best and we'll have a bake-off. So that person squandered their opportunity to become a holistic advisor. What they should have done during the six months when they were intimate with that CEO is they should have taken the opportunity to, to start to engage the CEO on other matters beyond the four corners of the mandate that they were hired to work. So in this case, the consultant should have said, should have done a ton of work, done exactly what they did on the mandate, the executive compensation mandate they were hired to work on. But they should have also then started during that six month period where they were sequestered with the CEO in conference rooms and things, taking the opportunity to say, you know, I see that some of your competitors are expanding into the European market. Have you considered doing that? I see that some of your competitors have launched this sort of a product. Are you thinking about doing the same? How do you intend to react to them or respond to them? Engage the CEO on other matters beyond the mandate. And if you do that well, first of all, they'll respond well to you because you're smart. One, two, you have credibility because you've been working with them on this project that you know a lot more about than they know. So you have credibility with them. They think you're smart. So use that and leverage it and get them to apply that credibility or transfer that credibility to other areas. Start to advise them on, engage them on, and then eventually advise them on other matters. If you're hired as a lawyer to work on an antitrust matter for a client, do a great job in that antitrust matter but start to engage them on other legal matters. Have they, do they have any securities laws problems? Have they thought about, um, the the, are they aware of the tax treaty between Japan, Japan and the United States and how that might impact their, the business that they're buying in Japan? Begin to engage them and then, if you do that well, during the six months, the client starts to ask you and engage you and rely on you for advice in other areas. And then when you finish the mandate, the consultant, in my example, finishes the mandate on the executive compensation package. He finishes it, gets paid, and that's not the end of the relationship. The next day, he's talking to the CEO about the other 16, one of the other 16 matters that he was talking to the CEO about during the six months. The next day, the CEO is calling him saying, you know, remember, uh, we, had, we had talked about Germany. Actually, I think we are going to consider expanding into the German market. Would you be willing to put together your thoughts on whether that makes sense? Remember when we put together this executive compensation package? Well, you remember John Smith, one of the you know, uh, vice presidents of the company, he's not working out very well. Do you have a suggestion on how we might find a replacement? Blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, you're no longer just an expert on antitrust 
or just an expert on executive compensation. You are an expert on a broader set of issues. You become a holistic advisor, an advisor who the client turns to when they need advice on almost anything. And I always say the best way you know, the best indication of whether you've done this well is when the client starts calling you and asking you about you know, where they should have knee surgery, right? Or where their, where their daughter should go to college, right? Then you've become a truly holistic advisor. So that's the goal. And most bankers, most lawyers, most consultants, most people who cover clients do not do that. They squander that opportunity, and it's unfortunate. Because they have the opportunity, they're intimate with the client for a period of time, it's exclusive, and the client trusts them because they're working on something important to the client, and they have credibility because they know a lot about this issue. And they fail to turn all those advantages into something that allows them to have a continual holistic relationship with, with the client. So number two, become, become a holistic advisor to the client. Number three is ask open-ended questions. So this requires sort of a change in mindset. Now it's, it's raining outside right now. So instead of asking a client, you know, is it raining outside, which lends itself to a yes, no answer, ask them an open-ended question, like, what do you think of the weather outside, right? Or how are you approaching this problem that you have with your competitors? Have you thought about ways in which you can deal with this and what are they? So ask open-ended questions and be empathetic. So I think empathy, which is the ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes, is critical to covering clients. And so think hard before you go into every meeting with a client about what that client is dealing with, not just again on the mandate, with respect to the mandate that you have been hired, but with respect to everything that's going on in their industry and in their company. Put yourself in their shoes and then ask open-ended questions of the clients so that you will gather more information from them and get them talking. The best interviews, the best interactions you have with employers or with clients are interactions where you are doing very little talking and they are doing a lot of talking. So I always tell people, I used to usually give a talk or every once in a while I give a talk on how to interview well. And the best interview is an interview in which I interview someone and I say at the end of it, geez, I really liked Julie. I didn't really learn anything about her because we spent the whole time talking about me, but it was a great interview, right? That's, that's a great interview. Ask open-ended questions of clients, get them talking, be empathetic, put yourself in their position in order to construct the questions that you're going to ask. Number four, and this is particularly important for those of you who are going to practice law, for lawyers, don't become what I call, well, let me, let me back up. I'll tell you a story and then I'll uh, give you the advice. Is there were two clients who I advised, two CEOs, two different CEOs who, who were in different countries, in different industries, who had never met each other. Each of them had, within their company, a general counsel, a lawyer in the company. And each of them had the same nickname for that general counsel. 
And the nickname was Dr. No, N-O. Because the lawyer was always telling him what they couldn't do or that they couldn't do what they wanted to do. So don't become Dr. No. What, do I, what does that really mean? Of course, you need to protect, if your lawyer is your client, or in this case, the CEO, from doing foolish things. Present, though, options. Say, you can't do this, no. However, you can do this. This is what I would do. Always present an alternative, a way forward, not just an obstacle that you can't overcome. Don't become a doctor, no. Fifth, put the client first. Now that's a cliche. You hear that all the time from, from people. But it is very important, and I don't believe it's a cliche, it's something that you should live by, and I'll, I'll talk about it in two respects. One is be prepared to give the client advice that is contrary or adverse to your own interests. There is almost no better way to obtain credibility with a client than to give them advice that's contrary to your own interest. So if, if I've been hired to represent a company that is buying another company as an investment banker, I get paid if that transaction occurs. I don't get paid if it doesn't occur. Right? So there's an incentive for me to make sure that transaction happens rather than not happens. But one of the best things you can do to obtain credibility, and by the way, it's the right thing to do, is when, in that case, the transaction doesn't make sense, and that is often the case, tell the CEO, not to do it. I know that this means that we're not going to get paid for the eight months of work that we've done and the all-nighters that I've pulled, but it doesn't make sense for you to buy this company. It's a disaster. Or if I've been hired to sell a company, I know we've been working on this sale for eight months, you shouldn't sell the company. It's not the right time or it's not the right price, whatever it might be. A underneath, put the client first, A, be prepared to give advice that is contrary to your own interests, monetary or otherwise. B, make sure that you are available all the time. Make sure that you're willing and able to drop anything and everything so that you're available for the client. Uh, one of the things that I say to people within my firm, and this sounds a little bit harsh, so but I do say this because it is true, is I will say to them, unless I am dead, asleep, or in a meeting, I'll respond to an email or voicemail within five seconds. Dead, asleep, or in a meeting. Those are the only three excuses for not responding within five seconds. So that's a not-so-subtle way of telling the team of the people who work with me, I expect them to do the same thing, right? Unless you're dead in a meeting or sleep, and you only need a certain number of sleep, <laughs> I was sleepy tonight, I expect you to respond within five seconds. So the same should be true and in, in, in more so with clients. If a client emails you, a client voicemails you, if a client texts you, get back to them right away. Because they'll feel like you're putting a priority on their problems, on their transaction, on whatever it is that they've hired you to help them with. 
they'll feel like they are your priority. And it's a competitive world. If you're not going to do that, somebody else will, right? And they'll find somebody who will do that, and that will dis result in you being displaced from the position you're in, within reason. Um, be responsive to the client. So put the client first. Be prepared to give them unbiased advice that may not be in your own interest. One, two, be very responsive to them. Six, and finally, be upbeat. So the people like to work with people who are optimistic and upbeat, and they do not like to work with people who are not. And so I don't care if your dog just got hit by a car. If you walk into a meeting and the person asks you, how are you doing? The right answer is, I'm great. I'm really happy to be here. I'm really excited about what we're working on. An answer of that nature. The wrong answer is, oh, God, I'm having a miserable day. My kid's sick, and I've got a sore throat now. Don't do that. Be upbeat, because being upbeat is contagious, and people like to work with people who are upbeat. So in building relationships, in working with clients, be upbeat. So those are my six pieces of advice. I have others as well, but I'll open it up for questions now. Okay, thank you, everyone.